1: Live from the Nasdaq market site right in the heart of New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. Here's what's on tap tonight. There are two charts and two parts of the markets our traders can't look away from. Yields and energy we will break down why the surge in the 10-year and the crude climb continue to dominate the conversation. Plus, shoe dog shares of Nike, keep crumbling. The stock now down almost 25 percent in just the last six months. Will earnings tomorrow stop the slide? What the options action is saying tonight. And later, a landmark day for the marijuana industry. A Senate subcommittee approving a bill to give weed companies legal access to banking services. The reaction from key players ahead this hour. I'm Melissa Lee coming to you live from Studio B at the NASDAQ on the desk tonight. Steve Grasso, Guy Dami, Julie Beal, and our guest trader tonight, Katie Stockton of Fair Lead Strategies. And we start off with the newest milestone for interest rates, yields on 10 years. Surging past the 4.6% mark, getting closer to breaking above their October 2007 highs. The benchmark rate is now up nearly 1.4 percentage points from its April low. Massive move. The rapid rise in rates taking a particular toll on a few sectors. Real estate, utilities, industrials among the hardest hit over the past month. And while stocks closed off their lows of the session, even the attempted rally late in the day lost some of its steam. So how worried should stock investors be about these rate moves? We like to play a game. Three oh, I love times games. Here on fast money. Where mm. I would say if imagine if yesterday I told you this would happen what would the markets do? If I said to you Guy Dami, I love games. That 10-year yields would yeah. go above 4.6%, what would the markets do? What would your answer be?
0: S&P's down, 80 handles, Nasdaq's getting obliterated, probably underperforming the broader market. Uh, Russell's small caps are getting whacked. And VIX what is happens? north of 20.
1: None of those things, and the opposite when it comes to small caps.
0: Which is, a good, which is a good sign. You know, Steve has pointed out this level, Tim, as well, 41.90-ish. We've been talking about the S&P. I think it got down to 42.30-something today and bounced 40 handles. So maybe close enough for government work. The market was oversold. Doug Katz has been writing about that. I'm sure Katie has views on this as well. So in the short term, all very good things, definitely. With that said, the fact that the TLT really didn't bounce at all, you would have thought yields would have backed up. They didn't do it. And I've said this for a while. Yields going higher is not a good thing. Yields will continue to go higher until they don't. And if yields start to go lower, it's because something probably broke in the equity market. So... I can come up with a scenario where if yields go down, it's probably been bad for the market. If yields continue to go higher, I don't think it's particularly good either.
2: What is
1: your take on the action today, Katie?
2: Well, I mean, I think there's something to the trajectory of yields. It's When they accelerate like this, you'd expect a much bigger impact on market sentiment. So sentiment has gotten to the place where it is bearish, right? Um, after today, maybe more so. We look at metrics like the VIX, like the fear and greed index, and they are showing bearishness, but maybe not quite at the extreme point that we need for the equity market to finally bottom. Guy and I are looking at some of the same levels too. this 41, sort of 80 to 4,195 area is support. It's not that far away anymore. And Treasury yields, they are poised to confirm a breakout this Friday. So the level that was cleared last week, it feels like ancient history. Now it's 434. And assuming that breakout is confirmed, the next resistance is five and a quarter. I've been saying wow. this for a long time, and it seemed really crazy when I first introduced that level. But at four six, it doesn't seem quite as no. crazy.
3: So if you look, at, so we talk about the seasonality of this the buy, the Russia, Russia, help me? Buy, Russia, uh, sell, Yom Yom <laughs> We've talked about it. Yeah. I feel as if I might be getting drawn in here because I, I, I'm starting to get negative. So when you start to get negative, you have to look at the seasonality again. So if I feel like I'm getting drawn in, what does the retail community feel like? They're getting drawn in, too. And when you look at the last four Septembers, those are down. When you look at the last four Octobers, those are up. I'm holding on to stocks. I sold a bunch of um CRAP stocks. That's not mm. an acronym. You
1: you owned C R A P stocks? I did, I did. I
3: I felt like I felt like I didn't buy them knowing that I owned them. Um <laughs> but I but I definitely over the years have figured out that they were not gonna perform well in this market. Right, and you got rid of this. But if you look at the large cap tech names, if there's going to be a rally in the overall market, those names have to rally. So I stayed long
1: some stuff. They held up a- Very well today, Mm -hmm. uh, considering what was going on with rates and what held up really, really well, Julie, small caps. Um, You're a resident expert there. (laughs) What did you make of of that solid performance today? 1% on the small cap 600 index.
4: Well, you know, I, I think it's kind of a case right now where if you look at valuations or, you know, across market cap, across sectors, you know, the place where people are finding value are still in small caps. And if things are not quite as bad as we had feared at the beginning of the year, these guys should probably be okay. The real question is kind of what is in, what is on balance sheets? Well, how much risk do some of these businesses have? And so, like I always say, you have to be really choosy when you start playing around with small cap but i agree you know i think until we get less of this bear steepening it's really really hard to get enthusiastic about equities but you know for us we're still looking at quality and it seems to be the best place to be in this september that's for sure yeah
3: what what happens what happens if oil comes in a little bit what happens if the dollar comes in a little bit what happens if the uaw strike ends. I know i this is this could be a wish list, like all of these but things of all, or, or, or? Or, or some some of these things uh-huh. some of these things start to trickle and you start to get that momentum. it doesn't take a whole heck of a lot to have the market rally from where think we oil are now is
1: going to come in given I think, want to keep I the think a hundred
3: dollars is probably the the, the uh-huh. nice fat round number. I think the dollar um, it, it, just think about this if Jerome Powell sees that maybe the market is taking it on the chin, maybe he backs up a little bit. Maybe it's not one more. He's never going to say it, but the market will start to interpret, maybe there isn't one more rate hike. And what happens if they think that? They start running into equities again.
1: Okay, but the problem is that it may not be one more, or maybe maybe one more, but maybe yeah. markets aren't really, like thoroughly factoring in the idea that rates could stay where they are right mm. now for a very long time. Maybe that's what we're running. Yeah, at so
0: I, I understand what Steve's saying. The, the pushback would be: I think that the Fed's a sideshow now in terms yeah. of one more, no more doesn't matter. They're staying where they're staying, I think. And the, the moving crude oil and the reacceleration of inflation suggests they should. And quite frankly, the rhetoric they've been pretty steadfast in their rhetoric, so it's not them that's to blame. The market has chosen not to listen until recently. I say the damage has been done because I don't think we've felt the effect at all in terms of 525 points of hiking. We're starting to feel it now. That will factor its way into the market. And yields going higher historically should be a good thing. It's not a good thing now because, as we've talked about, it's got nothing to do with the economy. It's got everything to do with supply and demand and the fact that the market is demanding higher yields to buy our debt, rightfully so, by the way, when you look at some of the problems we have here.
1: All right. Well, our next guest said back in August that he thought rates would quickly move to four and a half, maybe beyond. Let's bring in Damp Spring Advisor CEO Andy Conson. And Andy, great to have you back. That was a great call hey, by you, you and, and that was on, on the news that the Treasury was going to you know, have a much bigger than expected issuance. So the issuance hasn't actually happened. A lot of the move has happened. And so what? how do you expect this to play out at this point?
5: Right. Thanks for having me back, Melissa. Yeah, since, so since the uh, government announced a significant increase in the amount of uh, long-term treasury bonds they plan on issuing, shifting from bills to bonds, you know, the s and is down 7 percent, Nasdaq's down 7.5, Russell's down 11. The two-year note, which I agree with, um, with um, Guy, is... You know, basically fixed, but is up 26 basis points. But really, the big action has been in the 10-year and the 30-year, which are up 65 basis points and 71 basis points. And as you said, the supply hasn't really come to market yet, but the supply announcement clearly mattered. So what we're having is a bit of front-running of that, where markets price in this additional supply. And so I think about 75 to possibly 100 percent of that pricing in for the supply has happened in the bond market. Um, And it's possible that when the supply actually does come this quarter, that you could push yields a little bit higher. But I'm thinking that most of this run has moved, has occurred, and you've got 10, maybe 15 basis points more of higher yields in in uh, the near future.
1: So you've you've covered a lot of your shorts in this position, Andy, and and that's simply because the risk reward is not there anymore. I mean, you're saying that yields will probably go higher, but at this point, it's it's not worth shorting bonds for that move. Right.
5: Right. Exactly. I mean, you can choose to be long, short or flat if you're a speculative investor or a hedge fund investor um and you know the choice right now is to have no position because you know i do see a possible you know i do think a likely 9 to 15 basis point increase in yields but it's come a long long way and so a po- a bounce on on weak data or any any sort of a weakness even in equities would um you know support bonds briefly um though i think the supply means that going long bonds speculatively doesn't make sense because you're just going to run into that wall of supply.
0: And it was great to have you on. When you originally did, it's great to follow up now. Well done. So there's what I think could potentially happen. If yields were to go lower, markedly lower from here, it's probably because something broke, and broke meaning the equity market, and you'd have this sort of perceived flight to quality in the form of the bond market. I don't think that's particularly healthy, but that's a scenario. Does that make sense to you?
5: Sure. But I think what and and that that is how things have played out year over year for 40 years when things get bad. Bonds rallies. But it usually happens after stocks fall. And I think the the recent rally in bond yields, the rise in bond yields, the sell off in bond has not been felt yet by the equity multiple. So I think the next step before we get to the step you're talking about is for equity multiples to contract a little bit. You know, my sense is the same sort of move in equities that we have had when you add on the move to bonds, equities need to catch up a little bit to the downside. My guess is around 5 percent. You're short equities. I am short equities. Yes.
1: Okay, Andy, great to have you. Thank you so much. Pleasure, Melissa. Andy Constant, damp Spring. Julie, you agree with Andy?
4: Yeah, I mean, for the most part, I, I think that it makes sense logically, but you know, the one place that I kind of wonder about is, you know, we talk about the wall of worry, but there's also this, you know, wall in that's sitting in cash earning five percent and i just i worry a little bit on being too bearish because i do think there's the potential for people who've been really happy earning five percent and looking at returns in the market that are much better than that and starting to wonder hey maybe i need to get back involved particularly if there's kind of a nice little correction i think brave people might start stepping in so i i'm not sure it'll be quite as connected as that and i do think that it's going to probably hit If it's going to hit anywhere, it's going to be on lower quality for sure.
1: Katie, do you think equities need to go down to sort of
2: match that move higher in yields? I mean, we're still recommending being short, being hedged. And yet we think that the market is potentially even within a couple of weeks of a a tradable low. Mm We are starting to see signs of downside exhaustion we talked about in market sentiment gauges market breath readings have gotten very deeply oversold so these are all creating a backdrop that is more favorable for equities then we also have the support coming to, into play. There are some countertrend signals from our DeMarc indicators in both yields and equities. We're supposed to get a, a signal countering the down move in the S&P 500 in the next couple of days. So we're bracing for what we think will be a nice entry point, And yet we want to see those momentum gauges shift before We feel confident in covering the hedges and and getting more long.
3: And it doesn't have to happen when you say October is usually a positive month for the markets. It doesn't have to happen as of October 1st. So this could be a two week event to Katie's point or it could be a week event. So I think if you go into October, November, December, those are good months for the overall market. So I wouldn't get too bearish.
2: Yeah, the seasonals are very strong in October, November, especially I think people get ahead of the Santa Claus rally. December hasn't quite held that same positive seasonality that it used to. And, uh, you know, that's a good two to three month move potentially that we could position for. The question is, is that going to be it or is it going to yield a lower high and keep us range bound? Ho, ho, ho,
1: yeah,
0: ho, ho ho to you as well. You know, yeah, it's funny. There's uh, some gobble, things gobble. that really, yeah, that Irk you. turkey day, but that's all good. Happy hump day. Love that. <laughs> Listen, I, I understand what everybody's saying here. I yeah. totally get you. Know, we might be within a couple weeks of a tradable low. The question is, you know, what does that look like, that move to the downside? Is it a flush? Do we get a VIX north of 25, which we haven't seen in quite some time? I mean, all those things are in play. I think today's action was really encouraging. The fact that we traded down the levels that we've been talking about for a while, seemingly bounced uh-huh. on the face of yields going higher is a good thing. We'll see how long that lasts. And we haven't even talked about these geniuses, you know, a couple hundred miles south of us that could potentially shut down the government. I don't even think that's priced into this market. And that's something to be concerned about Here's as well. Here's a would
1: you rather. Oh, I like this. Uh-oh. I will pose it to Steve Grasso. Oh, I love this game. Did you know? <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. Would you rather money right now, yielding 5% in bonds, or, or entering a new position in the stock market, SPY, from here to your end
3: Ooh. Entering a new position, SPY, without question, because it, it, it's almost like buying for a dividend, right? I mean, that could, that, even though you have that static, right? Right. the market could be up dramatically from here, and that obliterates that 5%.
0: You would have been the great, like been great on. She would have been great on. Let's make a deal, like Why? a modern-day Monty Hall. No, because that's. I, I
1: do host. Do you the have a paper clip in your pocket?
0: I, I actually do for that show. Exactly. <laughs> Bobby pins, all kinds of fun <laughs> like things. Diver. Um, Who's free? Right.
1: <laughs> 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 the moves and treasury yields got us thinking. What other charts could tell the true tale of the markets? Let's go around the horn. Uh, guy, you've been looking at banks.
0: KRE is the one that I think – listen, it was between HYG and KRE. I'll pick KRE because I've done HYG before. I think small and regional banks are a huge towel. They were getting cratered into the spring for obvious reasons. They all bounced on the back of Silicon Valley Bank, somewhat counterintuitive, but obviously the Fed backstopped everything. They had a huge run giving a lot of it back, and it feels as though we're going to round turn. So if the KRE, if the regional banks start to roll here, it suggests maybe the economy is not as strong as we hope it to be, and maybe there's another fly in the ointment in terms of small and regional banks. So the KRE, to me, is a chart to watch. Steve.
3: Uh, Triple Qs. If everything is about large-cap tech, you have to watch the triple Qs. Seems like we're hitting a support level in triple Qs, and if you look at the top holdings, you have Apple, you have Microsoft, you have NVIDIA, you have Meta. Um, and Amazon. It's about 40% of the triple Qs. If that rallies, then the market's going to be in good shape.
4: Julie? Yeah, the Fed put out this chart talking about excess savings, right? And everyone says, you know, people have such high levels of excess savings. But what really matters is who's holding the excess savings. And what's really clear is if you're in the top 20 percent, you still have a lot of excess savings that you can draw from. But if you're kind of below that, you're really starting to dip past where you were before the pandemic started. And so I think looking at things on a real basis, if adjusted for inflation, is important in terms of thinking about consumer spending going into the holiday season
2: and we save the professional
1: Mm. chartist
4: for last. (laughs) Katie.
2: So we're looking at the fear and greed index and it is a gauge of market sentiment. It aggregates a lot of different measures into one. And in July, it was extremely overbought, meaning that investors were too greedy. It peaked around, I think, 82%. And now it's at 25% after today's action. And 25% south is is an extreme oversold. And again, it has us looking out for that tradable low. Mm.
1: Coming up, Micron on the move. We're all over the after hours action in Micron as results across the wires. The latest numbers from the quarter next. And peddling higher, the deal that's sending shares of Peloton stretching to new heights. After the bell, we'll bring you the details when Fast Money returns.
6: Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy.
1: Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Micron. Shares of the chipmaker are down by just about 4% after hours on mixed guidance. CNBC's Christina Parts Nevelis got the details. Christina.
7: The call is still going on, but I came upstairs and Micron CEO actually started by calling the bottom for memory prices after what he called a very challenging year. I added the berry there, but the total addressable market reached a multi-year low, and that's why we saw revenues for Q4 drop 40% year over year. We can say Q4 earnings were a beat, but the company is still operating at a loss. Q1 EPS guidance came in, uh, I guess, larger than expected in terms of loss. And then on the call, there were a few things, and that's why, a few negative points, and that's why we saw the stock drop. First, traditional server demand remains lackluster. It's been the first year over year decline since 2016. They are forecasting 2023 PC and smartphone volume to decline this year. They think it's going to normalize. Uh, for 2024, which is really now, it's confusing but it's Q1 now. And then what uh, it was alarming was that 2024 capex only slightly higher than, than, than this year. The China ban continues to impact revenue and when I say impact it's about a 13% hit to total revenues. Free cash flow still going to remain negative for the first half of 2024. Of course they're going to bring up the bright spot, which is AI and their ha- high bandwidth memory chip which they believe is powerful enough to to help with all these AI infrastructures and it's going to ramp up next year. But is that enough to offset all of these points uh, that this company has still faced? And they're calling 2024 a year of recovery.
1: So a ramp in 2024 doesn't, I mean, that was not right. Yeah, that is not going to be strong in the first half or whatever, and it's going to gradually grow. But going back to what you said before, which struck me as sort of weird, if I heard it correctly, total addressable market hit a multi-year low. What does that mean? What does that mean? Your total addressable market is your total addressable market. Why would it shrink to a multi-year low? this year. This,
7: this past, past year. year, they're going to say that, well, you know, memory chips are commoditized in general, so right. it falls this supply sure. and demand chain. Uh, they believe that perhaps the money has been shifting towards other type of memory products like the high bandwidth. So maybe that means the addressable mm-hmm. market specifically for their DRAM and NAND products have been lower for that reason. Perhaps CapEx dollars are going again to the AI build or maybe just decreasing altogether for some companies. So maybe that's why, but he didn't go into detail as to why specifically, it's a great question, why TAM is down. Perhaps it's one of the analyst questions going on now. I'm not sure.
1: Yeah, because that would really put the pressure on Micron mm-hmm. to actually transition to that product, which is going to ramp up next year, which is maybe why 2024 add is, to a, their fiscal is a rebuilding yeah. year. I don't know, Guy, what do you think of that? It's this? great
0: having Christine. See, we have this big yeah. desk. It's great not having her in that fish Oh
1: yeah, and <laughs> having her
0: here on the desk, number great. one. Number two, Steve can talk about this, but, you know, NAND average selling prices declined mid-teens. It was looking for 4.5%. That's 30-ish percent of their business. That's the bad news. Here's the good news. Um, this stock has been making higher highs and higher lows since December of last year. As long as we sort of stay above 64.5%, we are in good shape. But do you remember, by any chance... May 21st, 2018, Just oh say God, no. It rained? You know, I remember like <laughs> I it was a, yesterday. I had a
1: sandwich that
5: day you <laughs> for lunch, <laughs> yes.
0: Sandwich. Did that I was know? also the day, and I remember this, Micron is a $50 billion market cap company. They announced a $10 billion stock buyback. And I said on the show that night, you know what? This is a great sign. This is showing that they're no longer commoditized. They're not a cyclical company anymore. They're buying. That was the, can I say the term, balls high for quite some time. So as much as you like to think they've changed, they haven't changed at all.
1: Like tennis balls. Like
0: tennis hey, what
2: balls. Do you think of the chart? You know, it, higher highs, higher lows. Like you said, it, when you look at the 200-day moving average, it has turned up on both in absolute terms and also relative to the S&P 500. So I'm compelled by that. I generally prefer stocks that are in more established long- Long-term up trends, uh, but it doesn't look highly risky to me. Steve, quick.
3: The stock is up 36% year-to-date. When you compare it to Nvidia up 190%, it seems like a failure. But when you look at NAND and DRAM, DRAM is responsible for 70%, 75% of their revenues. NAND is responsible for 25% of the revenues. If they get into the HBM3, I think that's 3E. the chip. 3E chip. Then the sky is the limit for a company that you usually boom bust for them. China gets out of the way. China was thought to be Wait, a 20 so percent hit. You like
1: this on a possible 2024 ramp of this product that I may, do, may I not do. be strong enough to support AI machines.
3: I do like Micron. I think okay. people are throwing everything out, and I do like Micron here.
1: Christina, thank you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. <sighs> There's a lot more Fast Money to come. Here's what's coming up next.
5: Will Nike swoosh after results tomorrow? The sneaker maker lacing up to deliver those numbers. But can anything turn this stock around? The arch support coming out of the options pits next. Plus, oil pumping up, crude hitting its highest level in more than a year. But can the commodity keep up its energy? The traders are fueling up on that one ahead. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. Imagine you're on a John Deere mower with a smooth ride, intuitive controls, and attachments for every season. You just have to get in the seat. Learn more at JohnDeere.com slash get in the seat or visit a dealer near you.
1: Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of Peloton spinning higher in the after hours. <coughs> the company announcing a five-year partnership with Lululemon. The athleisure brand becoming Peloton's primary apparel partner. Julie Beal, look at that pop in Peloton. Does that mean it has a, has hope here? It
4: well, he probably has some hope. This is kind of a nice marriage, I think, for both of them, right? Because thank goodness Lululemon realized that their purchase of Mirror isn't really going to pan out the way they had hoped, and no one even wants to buy it. So that really tells you how weak that product is. I think Peloton has a much more compelling collection of content for them. And I think it it makes sense for these two to pair up where they have a lot of weakness. I don't know if that makes Peloton investable per se, but it does give them a lot of interesting distribution through the Lululemon store network and a better brand partner that's probably pretty well aligned with their higher income consumer. So I think it's a, a pretty good little marriage that they put up together. Guy?
0: I don't even know if I'm allowed to say his name. Remember Jeff Mackey back in the day?
4: Not, never stopped you. Never. You already said true. it.
0: Go. I just said, I'll tell you this, because in December of 2021, he said Peloton and Lululemon should do something. A man is ahead of his time. Wow. He's nuts. I love him, but he's ahead of his time. <laughs> this is more important for Peloton than it is for Lululemon, for sure. The question is, is this just a short covering rally, or will it continue to move the stock higher? I don't think it's going to be all that accretive to Peloton. The question is, is Lululemon too expensive in this environment? And I think the answer is yes.
1: All right. Well, Nike is in need of some arch support. Shares breaking Mm. below 90 bucks today, now down more than 23 percent this year. And with earnings due out after the bell tomorrow, how are you lacing up on the name? How does that chart look to you, Katie?
2: You know, it's a real downdraft, right? And we've seen a series of short-term breakdowns. There's risk that we see a longer-term breakdown as well. So I, I think we want to avoid these downtrends. That There's a, a weak tape behind it as well. Obviously, that's not helping. Uh, but until you see not just uh, you know, support discovery but a momentum shift, I think there's better places to be.
1: Well, options traders are betting Nike's earnings move could have some real soul. Mm. <laughs> Mike has got the action. Mike.
6: Nike saw
3: about 1.6 times its average daily call volume today, and we are seeing an implied move of about six percent. That's in line with the historical average. Uh, The most active calls really were the 95 strike calls that expire at the end of this week. Buyers paying about 74 cents for those speculative bets that we could actually see a bounce post earnings. What do you think? So you know what's funny is if you look at Skechers, a name that no one likes and everyone has the same look like watch get, get a quick on guy Skechers. See? Everyone has that same look when you mention Skechers. Skechers has outperformed Under Armour, Skechers has outperformed Nike.
1: Well, you know what Skechers has now? A pickleball shoe. Oh my Stop god. It. They have a pickleball shoe. See? Shoe specifically for pickleball.
3: Yeah, Nike's challenge, as Katie said, and if you look at the chart on Skechers, I think you'll think the opposite way. Look at the mirror,
0: mirror image of Skechers.
1: Weren't you going to play pickleball against K-Fund? So
0: hold on a second. Yeah, what I, happened? Got their, I got their right. slogan. What is it called, don't Skechers? Don't do it. Yeah, don't do it. <laughs> Skechers for pickleball when you've entirely given up on life. <laughs>
1: So mean. It happens that's to be mean. That's mean, that's mean. Well, it's, it's, you know. uh, Mike Howard, thanks to you. Coming up, crude absolutely crushing it. But can oil keep fueling the big run higher? And what can we expect from energy stocks into your end? RBC's Halima Croft will join us next to lay out what she sees in store. That interview is next. Fast money's back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Stocks closing largely flat after a whipsaw day. The Dow down more than 300 points at its low, ending off by almost 70 points. The s and eking out a gain and the Nasdaq climbing two-tenths of a percent. Both the S&P and Nasdaq still on pace for their worst months of the year. Take a look at shares at Disney closing below the $80 mark for the first time since 2014. Meantime, oil is spiking higher today, trading above the $94 mark for the first time since August of last year. How much higher can prices go, and what will it mean for the consumer? CNBC contributor Halima Croft joins us now. She's the head of global commodity strategy at RBC Capital Markets. Um, the number, the inventory numbers out of Cushing um, was behind the spike today. Halima, where do you see oil going? You just spoke to the Saudi oil minister in Calgary. so. How firm will the Saudis be, do you think, in in getting to 100 or, or going that direction?
8: I mean, right now, we clearly see momentum to $100 at Brent. The big question is we have an OPEC JMMC meeting next week. The Saudi oil minister said, yes, we made the decision to extend our unilateral one million barrel a day cut through the end of the year. But he also said we're going to review that decision every month and we can go either way. It comes with a backdrop against the backdrop of U.S.-Saudi diplomatic negotiations for this big grand bargain. The question is will there be an energy component of a potential U.S.-Saudi deal? I think the Biden administration would clearly like more Saudi barrels on the market because, look, there are not a lot of great options out there for this administration to get crude prices down. They've already done the big SPR release. The question is, are they really going to do more? We're not hearing any more blockbuster SPR releases. They've done deals with Iran, but those barrels are already in the market. So it's not clear really where the administration goes next for additional barrels.
1: I mean, it seems like they really don't have any tools in their (laughs) toolkit at this point, Halima, in terms of trying to get oil prices down in an election year. uh, You know, if you just take a look at big oil here in the United States, I mean, companies are not going to be, you know, operating more rigs to get oil prices down. I mean, they're just, they're run differently these days, they are committed to returning capital to shareholders. They're not committing as much of their free cash flow to new exploration. They're not operating as many rigs compared to even a year ago. I mean that that hope also seems to be to be gone to increase the supply from here
8: again that's why all eyes are really on saudi arabia and the rest of opec i mean what countries sit on spare capacity that they can deploy quickly it's countries like saudi arabia so again i would say Pay close attention to what is happening You've, in terms of the broader diplomatic discussions with Riyadh. A number of senior U.S. officials have been in Saudi Arabia over the past couple of months. Again, it's a deal that's going to encompass security, nuclear, Saudi recognition of Israel, potentially, but obviously this oil angle is part of the negotiations. Because again, the administration doesn't have a lot of good options. They'd like to get this Iraqi pipeline back up online. That's been down for months. There's a question, could you potentially get some more Venezuelan barrels on the market if they do sanctions relief? But that sanctions relief is not likely to come till next year. So the immediate picture does not look spectacular in terms of additional barrels.
3: Halima, has the U.S. replenished the SPR, or is that something that we don't know until after the fact? Do we know if they replenished? I know that you talked about their, their toolbox, but do we know if they've replenished already?
8: So the SPR is down nearly half from 2020 levels. Now, in the summer, the start of the summer, they talked about being in buyback mode. There were indications of some initial buybacks, but then they paused buybacks. So the question is, will the administration potentially do some more smaller scale SPR releases? That could be politically challenging. But again, it all goes down to what's your option suite? Now, I think they would like to get this grand bargain with Saudi Arabia, get the Saudis to start tapering down that unilateral cut. And again, the Saudi oil minister did say last week in Calgary they could go either way with that unilateral cut. So, again, I think the emphasis will be appealing to Riyadh, but then they'd have to think about fallback options. I don't think an SPR release, a smaller one, is off the table, but not a preferred option. And a bigger challenge for the administration is the product shortages. I mean, look at the diesel inventories; Those are perilously low. And the Russians last week announced a ban, export ban, on some products. And so look for challenges for the administration in a tight product market as we head into winter as well.
1: Halima, the cure for higher oil prices, high high oil prices. I mean, basically, at some point, there's demand destruction. But when you think about that level for demand destruction, does that level come down in an economic situation that we have now where consumers are feeling more strapped? They're faced with inflation in other places. Interest rates are higher. How does that get adjusted, if at all?
8: I mean, one of the big challenges is you would think at this price it would be uneconomic for refineries to run these barrels. But when we look at the product shortfalls, look at the situation for diesel, for an invent- for a refinery, it is economic to still run those barrels. So given the issues that we're seeing in terms of tight products markets, there's no indication yet that at this price point we're going to see demand destruction. And so again, I think that is a really big challenge for the administration as we head into winter. Are we going to see potential product shortages, particularly in places like the east coast of the United States?
1: Halima, thank you. Halima Croft of RBC. Guy.
0: She's unbelievable in the space. I mean, we're lucky we have her. We have have, uh, Paul Sankey come on and talk energy. We are fortunate to have them both. We've been steadfast in our belief that energy stocks will continue to go higher. Exxon, multi-year high today, if not an all-time high. OIH bumping against, you know, four or five-year highs. ConocoPhillips, Chevron, not participating like Exxon, but doing well. And these levered names, Marathon Petroleum, PSX, APA, all do well. Crude oil doesn't have to go anywhere from here, and these stocks can continue to go higher.
4: Are you finding value in oil, Julie? you know for us with long-term time horizons it's it's next to impossible to feel really confident uh, owning oil when it's this volatile but what i will say is that it really looks like there's a clear floor under pricing right now and it's hard to really see how saudi how saudi arabia with all of its pricing power that it has struggled to achieve is going to do anything to really alleviate that they're getting exactly what they want and I think, you know, oil producers here in the U.S. are very happy, you know, to get paid more and do less. I mean, that's like my work motto, you know, but like, I, I think I applaud them.
1: <laughs> um, Katie, where's the best chart in oil? energy.
4: Yeah, I mean, the integrated
2: oil plays have been so strong. The relative strength is definitely behind them. And we are seeing some breakouts. Even the European players are really very intriguing from a momentum perspective. And with this last push higher, we do have some resistance levels being taken out. So for crude oil, WTI, 94 is a key level for it. Above that, the secondary resistance is above 100. So it's about 101. Hmm. That's based on a Fibonacci retracement level. And, uh, you know, you can't roll it out because you have the positive intermediate-term momentum there and no sell signals except for very short-term ones. Ah.
1: Coming up, a major milestone for marijuana. As the Senate approves what could be landmark legislation, our Jane Wells Mm. joins us live from a pot shop. Jane.
9: (laughs) Melissa, 90% of Americans almost support legal marijuana in one form or another, according to Pew Research. It's taken the federal government a while to agree with that. But up next, a huge step forward. And could you maybe use one of these in here? That's when we come back.
1: Welcome back to Fast Money. Cannabis legislation clearing a major hurdle today. A Senate committee approving a bill allowing marijuana-related companies to do business at actual banks. CNBC's Jane Wells has got the latest. Jane. Hey, Melissa, up to now, they've only been able to go to maybe a
9: state bank or a credit union where they have to pay a lot higher rates. But this is the rise dispensary in Pasadena, where most transactions are in cash. And even businesses that have operated legally for years still cannot get a bank account at a federally regulated bank. But as you say today, finally, the Senate Banking Committee approved a measure to let operations in states where cannabis is legal to get bank accounts at, say, a Chase or a Wells Fargo, a B of A, to get loans and insurance. And they can't be denied service just because they sell pot.
5: It's also going to be a very large deal because it'll be the first piece of federal legislation that actually recognizes that there is a thirty five billion dollar industry in the United States that services cannabis to, to our consumers. We really think it's a big deal for the business and for the stock, because this kind of thing can lead to more institutional ownership in the company.
9: Okay, it's not a done deal. It still has to go to the full vote uh, in the Senate, in the full Senate. But the sponsor of today's bill says there's still another huge challenge, the IRS, which still will not allow these businesses to make normal deductions.
0: It's really absurd that cannabis businesses cannot deduct their expenses. So they are required by law to pay taxes on their gross revenue rather than their net revenue.
9: And that puts a lot of them in the red sometimes. By the way, this industry is not immune to inflation, guys. Ben Kovler, whose company owns this dispensary, tells me demand is up, but a lot of buyers are trading down. Melissa?
1: Yeah, and in many instances, I'm sure, trading down to the illicit market, which doesn't have nearly as many taxes Mm. and fees associated with the transactions. Jane, it's always great to have you. Guy, I have to tell you, was so excited to see you in our rundown today. I,
0: I, Jane, am I God. allowed to – did we let go of the guest no, or she's I still there? Say goodbye to I not I mean, yet. you talk about Mount Rushmore. I mean, can you be somebody that's oh. above Mount Rushmore? Oh, wow. Because if there is, that's Jane Wells. I mean, I <laughs> dig Jane Wells. She's a legend. She is C – and forget about CNBC. No. She's television royalty. Yes. Yeah, broadcasting royalty. <laughs> Look at her.
1: Perfect. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. Thank you, everyone. So it goes without saying, Jane, it's always great to see you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Jane Wells coming to us from a patch. Of course she is. Shop. Um, so we actually we talked to Boris Jordan yesterday of Cure Relief, and I asked him also about consumers and mm-hmm. demand and inflation, et cetera. And he said, when rates start coming down, we'll expect to see cons- you know, the consumer to come back. Rates aren't going to go down for a long time.
3: Not only that, but the illegal market is what you're talking about, and not, you know, politically right now, no one goes to jail for the illegal market. So there's really that headwind that is going to persist. And not, not only that, but there's a long way to go. The biggest thing is what the DEA does with the HHS recommendation to reschedule. yeah,
2: yeah. How do these stocks? They've had massive. It's, I mean, listen, we look at basing phases and we always say wait for the breakout. Well, they've broken out. They've cleared their 200 day moving averages. They've cleared resistance still arguably in a downtrend. But these base breakouts to me actually hold a lot of promise. So for those that are looking for value in the space, they're showing some shifts in momentum that I think are promising
1: coming up. Katie Stockton here. We'll go off the charts. Grab a paper and pencil because you're going to want to take notes of where she's seeing some bright spots in the market. The trades are next. Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. It is shaping up to be the NASDAQ's worst month of the year, but growth stocks may be hitting some key levels for investors right now. We're going to go off the charts with Katie here. So, what's the case here for the growth year areas?
2: Well, we tend to see leadership from growth in stronger tape. So if we are talking about the corrective phase maturing, even if just for the next two to three months, we want to rotate back into those growthier areas, the areas that exhibited leadership. One of the keys is that breath has really contracted as usual during the corrective phase, that the cumulative advanced decline line has now pulled right back into some key support. And what that would suggest is that we do see breath improve, participation expand coming out of this corrective phase. And with that, we can revisit the areas of the market like say an equal weighted S&P 500 benchmark small cap benchmarks which also tends to be more growthy at times and find our performance there in the short term so we would look at etfs like rsp for one as being very oversold near some key long-term support we don't want all of our charts to look like that because it is a long-term range but within that range we have an intriguing oversold potential entry point i think we wait for the momentum uptick but we're getting pretty close to that what we really like to see, of course, are those long-term uptrends. And with that, we have XLK as a great example. It's very similar, Steve, to your triple Qs. The XLK was a source of outperformance largely driven by the mega caps. I think you can also go farther down the market cap spectrum within technology to find outperformance, to find leadership when the market resumes, hopefully resumes, its cyclical bull trend. So XLK is fair game. But also you could look at something like the cloud computing ETF or CLO. OU. And that has an oversold reading following what to me looks like a long-term turnaround that holds some promise there. So you're seeing these intermediate-term oversold indications after constructive developments from earlier this year. And we'll be on the search for beta coming out of this corrective phase. Another area that's been really beaten up recently, but had leadership before was uh, the home builders. So if you look at it, an ETF like ITB, same idea. You have this oversold reading returning within the context in this case of a long-term uptrend, so getting close as well.
4: Julie, do you like any of these areas yourself? Yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely spots in in technology that are pretty compelling. I think for us, it's more so on the software names that are actually incorporating AI and have been for you know decades because it really has existed for decades. That's kind of the focus for now. Homebuilders, I think, are really interesting. Some of them are particularly well positioned and they typically, the ones that we like, have low leverage and asset light balance sheets. Those are things like dream finders homes would be interesting.
3: Awesome. Well, I have to go with XLK, right? I have to stay consistent with the triple Q. So I think that's where you're going to find the value and that's where you're going to get the most, um, well, you were looking for beta, right? So I was looking for alpha (laughs) so we can meet up there (laughs) sometime. Mm. Huh? Seeking alpha or seeking beta?
0: Which one? Old Greek, it's all Greek to me. See what I did there? <laughs> <laughs> See what I did there, Mel? Come on. That was funny, right? XLK is interesting. It looks like the SMH chart, if you were to have them both side by side. You had a huge top back in December of 2021. Big sell-off. Traded back to those levels. Seemingly failed. If I look at the XLK, I'd actually rather buy it on a breakout through that 175 level than to play here. I understand what Katie's saying, but you're basically along Apple, Microsoft, and a handful of others feels like Apple's still in sort of no man's land here to me.
2: Is it, Katie? Apple has support basically in line. Um, it is not showing any buy signals or indications yet, but at, these corrective phases tend to unfold in ABC fashion. I think we're in the C-wave for Apple, which exhibited leadership on the downside, and I do think it comes back to it on the upside. What's the best chart of the big cap tech? I'm actually most compelled right now. It, it previously was Alphabet and Amazon, but they're in pullback mode. So now that we've already seen a pullback from Microsoft, that's the one that's showing the first signs of downside exhaustion. So from a shorter term perspective, but still with a broader bullish context, Microsoft.
1: Coming up, final trades.
4: The final trade, Julie Beal. Now there's AI hype and AI reality. I like these bio simulation software companies like Sertara. they've been using AI for a long time.
1: Katie Stockton, a fair lead.
2: I'll go with that cloud computing ETF or CLOU, just a basing phase and pull back within it. Great to have you here, by the way. Of course.
1: Steve Grasso.
3: Shout out to Dean Harris from Syracuse University. Sure. He watches every night. West Rock, I think, limited downside, tremendous
1: upside from here. He must be bored if he does that. A guy. <laughs> is
0: he a Dean or is his a first dean. name Dean?
1: Oh, that's true. That's you a never guy. know.
0: Yeah. Uh, Skechers, I'm size 11, by the way, there, Mel. <laughs> PSX, Paul Sam X-ray. I think it's breaking out to the upside.
1: Thank you for watching Fast Money. We'll see you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast. Meantime, Mad Money with Jim Kramer starts right now.
4: Warrant its completeness or accuracy And it should not be relied upon as such To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer Please visit CNBC.com Forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer From pit
3: lane to podium The Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans A race day experience at the speed they deserve